Okay, real quick, in just a minute, Jesse's going to lead us in an opening prayer, but I kind of wanted to uh, do a little recap, or he kind of talked about this, just to get our brains uh, working, um, and we're not going to spend more than a couple minutes on this, but um, <clears throat> on page 90 and 91, he, he mentions uh, counting the cost, uh, and we kind of he kind of ended with that in the, um, the video that we watched, was what might this be costing us uh, in the kind of conversation of is this worth fighting over? Well, what is it costing us? And that's a, that's a good um, question to ask when you're asking, is this worth fighting for? Well, what is it costing us? Um, what are some costs of unresolved conflicts? And real, really quickly, Matthew 5 after he says, go and, go and be reconciled, he says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in prison. So there's this urgency of resolving conflict um, that Jesus points out. And... Um, because there is a cost. So uh, just to kind of get us thinking, what are what are some costs of unresolved conflict? Yeah. Well, I, I was just going to comment on the nature that, once again, that doesn't get you ahead in life. Just agreeing and trying to get along and things like that. I mean, quite the opposite. Usually to advance, you got to step on some, some people. And this is just another really great example of this kind of whole thing that Jesus calls us to be is, is very different than, than our natural inclination. This sometimes may be perceived as weakness. Just ah, to simply yeah. give in and, and go along to get along and that kind of thing. And, um, but, but Jesus really stresses seeking peace with people. Good, good. Yeah. So, so you're... Uh, I'm still thinking about your comment, Jesse. So one of the costs is that it's a cost for us and that we, when we need to, we, it may cost us to settle a dispute quickly. Um, so it may cost us something, but in the end, uh, you know, there are, there are, you reap the benefits. Yeah, John? Well, it, costs, it can cost us relationships. Uh, yeah. It can cost us uh, emotionally, personally, which then spills over into other relationships as well. Yeah, yeah. Emotional cost. Um, he talked about how one of the partners went home and railed on, railed against his kids because he was so stressed out with all of this. Yeah. What are some other costs? It could alienate us from God if we want uh, our own way and just kind of forget about what God says about us. Right, yeah, yeah. We, if we let things go and don't resolve them, then yeah, there might be some consequences for a root of bitterness to grow up and bear fruit, and then that tears away from God. Yeah, good. One more. Well, materially, you know, you might have to give up whatever it is. <clears throat> Asking for right. So okay. If it, if it is a material right. Issue okay. And that you're going to court over, you might just say, you know what? Forget it. Yeah. Cost of the Right, and that's the cost to resolve conflict. Right. What I'm asking is, what is the cost of letting that conflict go and not resolving it? Your example. Do I? Your example. Okay, yeah. By not resolving, others see that, and they say, why would I want to emulate you claiming to be a Christian when you won't resolve conflict? Yeah, when you can't resolve conflict, that hurts your uh, reputation and hurts your witness, hurts your example, and God's light is not shining through you if you just let things like this fester. <coughs> okay, all right. Well, um, I thought that was a good um, maybe way to recap. Jesse's going to lead us in prayer and then we'll move on.
God in heaven, we, we come together today to, to study such a, a wonderful aspect uh, of your nature and of your character, Lord, that we, that we hope to emulate and show to the world. It's so unnatural for us to, to want to resolve conflict, but we recognize it's, it's one of the things that sets us apart from the rest of the world. So give us wisdom as we study, and give us humility um, here as we deal with, with conflict, uh, e even in our own body, Heavenly Father. We pray that, you're, that you are glorified in all things, that peace is sought, and that Jesus is, is King in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so there's a cost to unresolved conflict. And as I think came out there, there's a cost when we have to resolve conflict. There might be a cost that involves our rights. Um, so pages 92 through 99, um, <clears throat> want to spend just a few minutes on that um, because I feel like this is a really important topic. We usually get hung up on our rights. Um, in fact, uh, earlier this year, Jesse and I were talking about justice. Like justice is me getting the rights that I deserve, right? Isn't that what justice is? Well, I don't know. I don't. If you think about it from a peacemaking perspective um, where do one's rights come into play in peacemaking what what did the author point out and, and if you highlighted anything in this in these pages now's the time to kind of bring that out to try and answer this question <coughs> yeah. well I, I remember that situation and it was directly this the second line it wouldn't be just for me to let him off so easily that was like I was trying to balance between being a peacemaker and making sure that righteousness prevailed. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that righteousness, that right wayness, that was me saying my rights shouldn't be violated if we're talking about a brother to a brother and that kind of thing. And I, your, our discussion led us to study on justice and to, and to this material in particular. So I'm really glad to see uh, how this how this peacemaking perspective um, looks at rights. Yeah. Sometimes I even have to just give those up. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, Vicki? I think it's interesting here that he talks about your moral rights and your legal rights. Okay. And how those are two different things and we ought not to confuse them. Right, very good. Let's talk about that for a second. So. What is the difference between your legal right and moral right? And um, Justice Scalia pointed out the uh, language, the linguistic problem there and how that muddies the waters. Um, anybody want to comment on that? <clears throat> he gives an excellent example of our right not to uh, our Fifth Amendment. Right, not to incriminate ourselves, right? Yeah, and that's kind of when my pleading the Fifth Amendment being abuse of someone's rights. And, and I, I do like that, I understand that. But at the expense of someone else, are, is that morally right? Right. I think that's a very cut and dry example that he gave. Yes, exactly. Um, this is on page 92 in the middle. There's a quote from <coughs> Justice Scalia. What is lawful is not always right. Confusing the two concepts is particularly easy for the English speaking because we use the word right to refer both to legality and to moral appropriateness. We say I have a right to plead the Fifth Amendment and refuse to answer questions about possible criminal activity. Even when the consequences of exercising that right may cause an innocent person to be convicted, exercising such a right would certainly be wrong. So you see like our rights, uh, our inalienable rights are not necessarily um, in tune with what is morally right and wrong. So what would be right if you don't want to answer questions because you don't want to incriminate yourself 
But that person over there who you know is innocent is going to be convicted. Well, what is the right thing to do? Give up your right. right? <clears throat> Any other thoughts on that? Well, Paul talked about this extensively in his letter to the Corinthians, the yes. first one. Um, he talked about chapter 6. He talked about it again in chapter 8. And, you know, he, he was an example of this where he, he gave up what were viewed as his rights, what he could even say were his rights, because it was not in the greater good. Right. Good. Yeah, and, and even think about uh, if you want to say rights, sometimes we might use the word liberties, things that I have the liberty to do, I have the right to do this. Like Paul said, I have the right to collect a salary from you, you guys, but I'm not exercising that right. I have the liberty to do that. Um, and that kind of brings in the, some of the things of like Romans 14 conjures that idea up for me. Like, okay, well, I might have a liberty, but... How am I going to use that liberty, right? Um, <clears throat> at the bottom of page 92, it says, when exercising a right allows you to avoid a moral responsibility or take unfair advantage of others, you, you have not acted justly in the eyes of God, regardless of what a court might say. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a difference in that. And... Um, we have we might have liberties that we need to forsake um anybody highlight anything on maybe pages 92 to 94 95 anything stand out to you there well i just highlighted uh what you just read but on page 93 about going going back to the golden rule yes treat others like you want to be treated and even if you have a right to something would you want that coming back at you from that other person. Ah. And, you know, there's a, there's a difference there. And it goes back to your use of liberty. Might have the liberty, but you wouldn't have to do that. That's not the way you want to be treated, too. Good, good. I, I think Joy makes a point. If we were to put ourselves in the shoes of someone who was innocent and could be proven innocent because someone else would say something, we see that as, yes, that's the right thing to do. Absolutely, you should do it. But it's very different when we're the ones who need to say something and implicate ourselves. Uh, I think we've mentioned many times we're always easier on ourselves than we are on other people. But if you put yourself in the other position, um, I, think, I think it's easier to see, hey, I, I would like that done to me. Right, yeah. Good, yeah. One of the principles that we're going to explore later on is the Philippians 2 idea. Of look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. And that's what you just described there. And we'll develop that idea further of how important it is for us to consider the interests of others in making our decisions. Jesse? Um, certainly on 93, when you talk about it's sometimes appropriate to exercise rights. I remember growing up and being taught peacemaking, and there were several situations like what happens if, if a husband is abusive, right? You know, and, and that kind of thing. It's like we're told you can't leave, can't you know? But you should exercise your legal rights to protect your kids, you know, yourself. It doesn't mean you have to like. And the, you know what I'm saying? So like that that was difficult for me to like delineate where those things come into play, and I, I'm hoping to to have that kind of yeah yeah good yeah the line gets really fuzzy on what is the right thing to do um, there are times when it is proper to assert rights as well as times when we should willingly lay them aside um, so I want to move to page 94 and the, the introspective questions there I don't think oh, yeah, yeah I do have that um, yeah so, uh, anything before we get there? Anybody have a burning comment? Well, I'll just say, you know, we memorize, we've memorized in the past that 1 Corinthians 10.31, mm -hmm. you know, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. But those scriptures that follow it are really also enlightening 
Yes. Where he goes ahead to say, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. Right. I'm not seeking my own good. That principle brings, bring that into your rights, that idea, and it changes your perspective. Um, so then right after that on page 94, it says they are, uh, he's talking, he's contrasting rights are not something you deserve and possess for your own benefit. Rather, they are privileges given to you by God and he wants you to use them for his glory and to benefit others, especially by helping them to know Christ. So the question is, okay, I have this right to plead the fifth or for personal security and protection. Uh, I have all of these rights given to me by the, the laws of the land or maybe by God. So what does God expect me to do with that right? Um, and as John pointed out, not just seek our own good, but the good of others. So those questions down at the, at the, at the bottom of page 94, I, I thought these were really good. Um, whenever, you, whenever there's a question about your rights, ask these, ask these. The first one is, will exercising my rights honor God by showing the gospel in my life? So whatever right it is, um, when you're struggling, I think that's a really good question to ask. I have, I have these rights. What am I going to do with that? <clears throat> How can I honor God by showing the gospel in my life? Will exercising my rights advance God's kingdom? Or will it advance only my interests at the expense of his kingdom? So when you bring those principles into it, it might affect might change your answer to some of those. And then is exercising my rights essential for my own well-being? So, Jesse, that's where, like, okay, if I feel like I could lose my life if I stay in this relationship, or this is costing me emotionally, um, it's taxing me, and, like, my doctor's like, you have to remove whatever stress is in your life because I can tell you you're through the roof. And you need to think about this. Is there a situation going on where you, I have to consider that, right? So there's, the line is, is, is fuzzy right there of, of when you do that. And it takes prayer and judgment to try and hear God's voice, his still small voice sometimes in, in those things. Any, any thoughts about any of that? Did you purposely... For some reason, or just mistakenly leave out benefiting others. It wouldn't fit on my oh. slide. <laughs> I wanted them to be that big. What? So what? What did I leave out there? Well, exercising my rights benefit others. Right. It kind of goes along. Yeah. With the others, uh, others anyway. But right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So. In, in, yeah. Any other thoughts? Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Does it benefit? Others is exercising my right going to benefit others. Well, that no. Oh no, go ahead, John. Well, it takes me back to the abusive situation. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a time when you you look out for the benefit and well-being of others, not just yourself. Right. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And those others might be your children. Right. Taking them out of that situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, you are their, their caretaker. Right. I, I would say that that would be a primary over, this is just how I would think that would be primary over my own rights. It's my responsibility to my children. Mm -hmm. Right. Good. Good. Yeah, Mindy? I um, don't want to muddy the waters intentionally, but I am struggling with that. Um, the thing about my own rights, I mean, our example is Jesus, and it affected his health to do what was right. He gave up his, uh, his whole life. And so I, I do struggle with that. Is there right. a time where I say, well, this is too much for my health. This is, 
Right. Yeah. Jesse? Um, when I've seen situations like that, or the questions that I've been asked specifically about, I, I'm sorry, but like my frame is usually the abusive relationship. I've had several examples of that in my life, and so I get that question a lot. And oftentimes, the spouse doesn't care about themselves. It's the kids involved. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I remember specifically to someone very close that the husband wanted a divorce, she did not. And she went to court saying, I don't want this. You know what I mean? Like, but I kind of have to, I kind of have to do this. Um, and, and so I, I do think there is a level of, it, the example that he gives is he lets, he, Paul lets himself get flogged <laughs> once, right? And then corrects them for the sake of the kingdom. And then other times he says, uh, no, I, I shouldn't. So I do I do believe that these questions are appropriate. Like, can, can I spend part of my life and part of my well-being for the benefit of the kingdom, right? I do think that there is a notion of that. Um, and, and at the same time, there are times where if, if I die as a spouse and leaving my kids to nothing, you know what I'm saying? Like leaving my kids without a parent that can protect them, then that would be even worse. So yeah. it's, it's super difficult. I do like these questions. I do think these questions yeah, yeah. help to kind of... Yeah, just bringing the kingdom and bringing the gospel into the situation instead of utterly leaving it out and only thinking of how is this affecting me. Um, because you do ask the question, like, how is me just sitting here being abused, helping my spouse be who they need to be? Like, at what point do they need to be held accountable? And maybe I need help with that. And I have to go pull somebody else into it to say, hey, I, I think I want my spouse to be in a right relationship with God. And now... you. Can you objectively see that in the moment? Can you have no bias on, okay, this is, this is what I'm only doing this for the kingdom. And it just so happens that I'm getting a lot out of it, you know. Um, but there is, if you can search your heart and see the pure motives there, like how is this helping my spouse who is violating God's word? How can I help them? Tim in the name. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's got to be a balance there in my mind because I, uh, we can have uh, an incorrect identity of ourselves, like to the point where we think we, we are the person that needs to be trampled on, you know, depending on what's happened in our life. But, you know, we, th we, we can think that we uh, are that person that is less than and that that can be a very paralyzing situation for people. And um, so I, th I think that Jesus was very clear about his identity. He, he was giving up his life as the son of God. He knew who he was. Paul even expressed his rights when he gave them up, right? He, he understood that he had the right to do certain things. And I think sometimes uh, if we have a lesser opinion of ourselves where, where you know, there's a self-esteem issue or whatever, whatever, however you want to call it. You know, we don't, for some reason, understand that we are children of God. We are made in the image of God. If we don't understand that, then, um, then that can be a very destructive situation for our own selves. And we might need to uh, at least express our rights, even if we're choosing to give them up. I don't know. The right way to say that. No, that is a really good point. I think we've all known people that will that will die before they ever admit that somebody else is hurting them. And that's not that's not a good place to be in either, right? Uh, you don't overlook sin. You can't overlook sin, especially if it's sin that is harming God's name. If someone says they're a Christian. And they are uh, abusive to their family. That they're like you can't just let that go. Even if you feel like, well, I'm not perfect, so I guess I'll just sit here and take it and let someone go on being 
disobedient, um, harsh and cruel in God's sight. Like you got to pull that into it um, and not just let yourself uh, be scorned to, to the destruction of that person's soul. I don't know if I'm saying it right either. And, and then a couple others. Okay, good. <laughs> actually, I was thinking more about uh, what Mindy was talking about, how, and your uh, comment about how, you know, your doctor tells you this, this problem, this relationship is making you ill. You know, you need to back out of that relationship. Okay. That um, a lot of times, again, not an abusive situation, just a conflict. Yeah. Um, I know that my stress level or my health has been affected based on the way I'm responding to a conflict. Good point. And that if I have more faith in God, more trust in God, and more adherence to the way he wants me to behave in a conflict, that that can change my mental well-being, my spiritual well-being, and my physical well-being. And so sometimes... We use that a little bit of, as a cop, a or crush. a little or a lot as a cop out. Well, yeah. this is just, this is killing me. I can't, you know, I've done yes. what I could. This is damaging my health. I just need to get out of this. I'm just under so much stress. Yes. And a lot of that is because of the way I'm handling. Right. Yeah. Is that, is that true or is that just your best way to peace fake? Yeah. Is that your way to avoid seeing the logs in your own eye? Is by saying, sorry, I can't be in this relationship. Um, it's it's too painful. Yeah, it's too painful for me to see my own imperfections, so I've got to get out. Well, wait a minute. God wants us to grow to be like Christ. He wants us to see the logs in our eyes. So don't use that as an excuse. Yeah, good. Yeah, not related to abuse. Right, not yes, like yes. Right, yes, exactly. And again, these are all good, good points. Mindy and then Micah. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So I may um, choose to give up a right, uh, like a God-given right. I may choose to let someone hurt me. Uh, but that never means that there is no justice. Justice is foundational to the Lord's throne. And he does say, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So that never means that, oh, the other person, someone said, like, the other person is right. You know, I am just trash, and I do just deserve, you know. No, the Lord knows the truth, and the truth will eventually come out, and he will <coughs> justice. Yes. I may choose to lay down the right as a part of that, but right. that was a good point. Yes, and let me let me kind of launch off of that. There's a Bible Projects um, uh, episode, or maybe more than one, uh, and Jesse and I were were talking about it. Uh, and he does a word study of the words justice and righteousness, and walks through all of those in the Old Testament to see like what does God mean when He says justice and righteousness, and and it is God's definition of justice and righteousness. One of the, those is if there is someone who is um, oppressed or if they're just, unfort- just uh, unfortunate, like uh, a, a widow or like her husband died. No, there was no sin involved. He just got sick and died. What is the right thing for me to do? It is not for me to look out for myself. In God's eyes, justice and righteousness is to give up, hurt yourself, and take care of that widow. And there's so many times where justice and righteousness are tied to the widow and orphan idea and taking care of those less fortunate and falling on hard times. Like God's definition of justice is hurting yourself to give what other people are due. He calls it that. That's what they're due. Give them their justice. Now, usually when we say give them justice, we mean punish them. <laughs> but when God says give them justice, he means help them. Restore, Restore them. Right? Okay, Micah. Okay. 
We covered it. All right. Okay. Good, good discussion. Yeah. I think with all the examples we see of sometimes choosing to exert your rights, sometimes choosing not to exert your rights, um, the, it, it seems to me it's clear there is a matter of discernment there. There is, yes. no, there is no rule set that you can just apply yes. and say, well, there you go. You, you just have to do A, sub 1, sub 2, because uh, that's what the Bible says. Right. No, there are principles. These questions are, are good ways of trying to get at those principles yeah. and seeing myself and then seeking to honor God. Yep, exactly, yeah. Very good, very well said, yeah. Um, okay, so we probably need to move off of this pretty pretty soon here. Let's spend a couple more minutes. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, at the bottom of page 95, uh, when you are weighing your personal interests and responsibilities, be careful not to twist the concept of stewarding to your own advantage. Right, so that's that's a good principle, and um, just as a seed must be sacrificed to produce a crop, our personal rights and material assets must sometimes be surrendered to sow the gospel and produce a spiritual harvest. Beautiful picture there. So, really quickly, the story of Ted and Joan. Uh, Ted was an employee. He got fired, um, or no, he got hurt on the job because Joan, his boss, was giving him all the hard tasks, reminiscent of David putting uh, Uriah at the front of the line. Like they didn't have a good relationship. He pushed her buttons. Um, so then he got hurt and decided to sue. Um, uh, and so what, what happened as a result of, of all that? What, what were the next things? Somebody wanna just kinda Share what they remember from that story. It's one of my favorite stories, I think, in the book. Um, Ted Ted comes to the realization that uh, he's not. A, he, he recognizes his part in the conflict. And because, I think because he's a new Christian, that's really at the forefront of his mind right now as he's trying to grow in Christ. And he sees his part in this conflict and says, okay, uh, it, it is my right to, to sue. Uh, it is my right to take even the settlement offer, but to magnify Christ, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do either, and I'm going to work to make this relationship the best that it can be by me admitting my faults to Joan and then working to you know restore that relationship. Yep. Very good. Yeah. After, yeah. After going over this the second or third time, it just dawned on me. I missed this in that uh, first paragraph there. His enthusiasm for Christ provoked her further. I didn't catch that the first time I read it. I've seen that. I've seen that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. People get irritated because of someone's passion. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's more true today than ever and that I can remember. Yeah. You you have zeal for Christ. People are going to just... There's a... There's a um, what am I trying to say? There's a stereotype of what Christians are like and they will stereotype you and group you in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting in this the reminder that she didn't ever really come around. And he would hope she would and then write a neat story, it would be a neat story if she came around. Yeah. But she didn't. But more opportunity came from the way she responded to it and what she took out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So Ted gives up all his rights, doesn't even take the settlement for the injury that he could have, that they offered, and says, you know what? I see that I contributed so much to this. I don't, I'm not going to take any of that. Three years later, he asked Ted whether he regretted his decision to give up the settlement. He said, no, that was the best $5,000 I ever spent. 
God used those events to bring several people to Christ. He also helped me to overcome some major sins in my life. I only wish I had settled it more quickly. Right? So, um, okay. Um, So there were some questions on pages 98 and 99. We won't go over that right now, but that's a good exercise, I think, just to kind of help work through a specific conflict or whatever that may be. So let's uh, let's move on. Um, so conflict starts in the heart. Uh, this is we're going to move into chapter five here, um, and let's open to James four verses one uh, and following uh, one through three, um, and let's read that and and just make some observations there. James four. Verse 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have, because you do not ask God. When you do ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Okay, so... This idea of conflict starting in the heart. How does James, this passage, uh, point that out? And this should be an easy question. I'm not looking for a profound answer here. Uh, so, okay, unmet desires. Like that is that might be. Uh, we, we always used to say unmet expectations are the source of just about every conflict, especially in a marriage. Like, I expect my wife to do this, and she doesn't, so conflict, right? She expects me to do this, I don't, conflict. Bob, do you have a thought? I was just going to say, we said earlier in the study that frustration, frustration, the definition is that is unfilled or unmet expectations. Yes. So, uh, same thing. Yep. Good. I don't know if this is in the book or not, but um, the statement, we do what we do because we want what we want. Right. Yep. It starts with the desire. Um, I thought his story here was really good, and um, I'm thinking next class we'll start out with the video that goes along with this, um, and he tells some of these. But... um, I know that every father in here can identify with his first story of uh, already being frustrated and then something happens and you, it just, it just it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. I remember um, we were helping somebody do landscaping and um, the kids got in the car and they were taking the sunroof and opening and closing and opening and closing well it wore the motor out or overheated or something and then it got stuck open and I couldn't push it either way and I I couldn't get it to close and it started to rain and so I knew that they were playing with it I was already tired and worn out and just wanted to ride home and rest and this happened and I got so angry that I, t- I full vent, uh, just like he did on the kids. This is what you get when you play with stuff. You know, I'm totally, I've, uh, as someone said, I lost my sanctification over this. Um, and uh, that happens. And uh, luckily, uh, his son said, Daddy, do you think you should pray to Jesus and ask him if it's rightful anger? <laughs> would that we all had children that would ask us these questions the way we need them to. Um, so Brad, yeah. I didn't understand is why he didn't put them both in the back seat. Why didn't what? He didn't put them both in the back seat. Right? <laughs> yep. You can't reason in this state. Reason goes out the window. No reason. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so unmet desires in our heart. So then he moves over to um, idols of the heart. And uh, 
Anybody that's studied uh, the shepherding a child's heart, this is where he gets it. He says he credits it to Paul Tripp, but Ted Tripp uh, is Paul's brother. He wrote the book Shepherding a Child's Heart, and he goes into depth on how this is and, and expounds on Jesus' principle that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in that instance... Me railing on my kids and Ken's railing at his kids. It was what was in his heart that was coming out. Um, the, the best example is somebody's carrying around a glass full of water and then somebody else bumps against them and there's water on the floor. And you ask, why is there water on the floor? Well, because he bumped up against me. That's partially true, but let me ask it this way. Why is there not Gatorade on the floor? Because there was water in the cup. That's the other part of the explanation. It was the bump that caused the spill, but the reason there's water and not other things on the floor is because the glass was full of water. So whatever your heart is full of, when somebody bumps up against you, that's gonna spill out. Is it full of arrogance? Arrogance is gonna spill out everywhere and affect everybody. Is it anger? Anger is going to spill out on everybody. Is it humility? Is your heart full of humility? Then humility is going to cover the situation. And what is in your heart is going to come out. So um, what is the progression of an idol? What are the, what are the things? I didn't put these up there, but let's list them here. Desire, then we demand, then we judge, then punish. Um, okay, so so he he, he mentioned several things. What what did you uh, what did you highlight in this? section of I desire. What are the what are the big ideas from the the desire side? The danger of dwelling on your disappointment. Okay. Um, God has instilled in us the ability to desire and Desire in and of itself is not wrong, but um, what we what we prioritize, what we put first in our heart, and then uh, how we go about that, if we if we realize it's not uh, it's not coming to fruition, do we continue to let it stay in our hearts? Yep. Good. Yeah. It's it's conflict always begins with some kind of desire, right? And most desires, he pointed out maybe a couple hard attitudes there that I'm not even sure is a desire, but a description of a, uh, um, I don't know, a, a, a demand really, but uh, like vengeance or lust or greed. Uh, those desires, if you have a desire to for vengeance, um, again, okay, who's taking the vengeance is the next question, right? So most of these desires are God-given desires, uh, God-ordained desires. It is good for us to desire certain things. Justice and righteousness are all desires that we should have. But um, he pivots. He says there are two courses of action that we can take. Um, At the bottom of page 102, top page 103, what are those two courses of action? When we have a desire, trust God, right? Trust God, seek your fulfillment in him, um, put God above that desire, or the last paragraph there in this section. We fight to achieve our desire. Right. We, we elevate our desire above our submission to God and our love for God. Right? We keep fighting, dwelling on our disappointment, like Micah said, 
uh, allowing our desire to control our lives, right? Okay. Um, and then once you do that, you can kind of see, like, you could, if you place your desire under your uh, priority of serving God and glorifying Him, seeking the kingdom, enlarging the kingdom, spreading the gospel, all of those things that we just talked about with our rights, all of those things come into play here, then the desire is a good thing and it results in a harvest of righteousness. But when we don't, we keep fighting, pushing, dwelling on it, then it becomes a demand, right? You have a desire, uh, James says, uh, you, and you don't have it, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. That's the picture here. You're not getting what you want, and so it, it goes to the a level of demand. Um, so, what, what, did you, uh, what did you highlight in this next section, pages 103 to 105 um, and 106? What were the um, big ideas from that section? I think I highlighted almost every part of this. Right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, specifically at the top of 104, the more we want something, the more we think we need and deserve it. And the more we think we are entitled to something, the more convinced we are that we cannot be happy and secure without it. As he said before, we, we uh, convince ourselves. We must have that, yeah. Along, yeah, Jesse. along with that, I've, I've noticed myself as desire increases and turns into demand, we tend to then shape it to what we think God wants in that situation. Like, you know what I mean? Like the demand goes so high that like certainly God would really want me to have this or to act and behave like this. And sometimes we have to get humiliated in order for us to see his will in, in that situation. Very good, yeah. Yeah, Mindy? Yeah, just going on with that, that's part of what can make conflict so confusing. Yes. Every yes. person, like this is happening to me in our church conflict, I'll just say, like every voice is saying, this is what God wants. Yeah. But like how, you know, they can't, sometimes they can't all be right. Sometimes right. they can, sometimes, right. you know, they're yes. there, but... It's so easy you can twist anything that I want into God. God. Wants. Yeah, this is God's desire as well as mine, right? Yeah. Yep. And and like you said, again, when we get into seek the interest of others, not merely your own interest, then you start to ask the question is, okay, how can we accomplish God's desire that you want? And my thing that God's desire, how can we all get all of those things that God desires? Done. And? Well, one of the things that he tells us repeatedly, particularly in the New Testament, even more so in the Old in the Old Testament, is that he desires unity and love among his brethren. <coughs> Not that he didn't always want that, but there is so much more emphasis on it. Starting with Jesus's last talk with his disciples before yes. he dies, and his last prayer to the Father, yeah. and then almost every single epistle either emphasizes it or makes reference to it. So we know God desires that. Right. So where does that play into us insisting God wants this? I mean, even in what we're all going through right now, God wants this, God wants that. God, God of course, there are other things God wants. He wants us to obey his will in other Lots of other instructions and lots of other principles he wants us to apply. Yeah. But that principle is such a bedrock of the New Testament. Yeah. That that has to be way, way up there. Right. There is a hierarchy. I think I think part of of the problem is we convince ourselves that our desire that we see from God is the preeminent desire, right? And so, but at some point we have to go, okay, 
These are both desires. Are they equal? Or could there be one that is greater than the other? You know, like, okay, truth and unity. What if those are at odds? And that I can be unified, but I feel like I'm sacrificing truth. Or I can have truth, but I'm sacrificing unity. Like what, what, what happens when those two conflict, right? And that is, I mean, hey, could that be right where we are? Like, let's figure out how we can resolve that. Yeah. I also think because truth also is emphasized in the New Testament, the yes. fact that those are both so important to God means that they can both be accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. He says they can both be accomplished. Right. Right. Yeah. Together. And the same group. yeah. And um, at some point, the stakes are so high, you cannot sacrifice that truth. So. My question right now is, what do we see in God's word that helps us determine where we stop, where we sacrifice unity because the stakes are too high here, right? Um, so there's a can of worms and uh, end on that. Okay, we'll finish chapter 5 next time. I'll try and send out some questions to go over. I found out that James, my James, Uh had a brand new book. Yeah, I think you picked it up here, right? Well, you can... No, we've got three between us. Oh, okay. No, my, my James that I lost. Oh, so, gotcha. Yeah, okay. Oh, so it's, I was, it's when you said James, I was thinking Raymond yeah. for some reason. Raymond James. Mm. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes.